try to receive uh, God's forgiveness or His grace or His favor. But I want us to kind of think about that. I mean, I say that, but I want you to think as we go through this today that as, as God's children, these, these blood-bought people that we are, do we offer up these same type of things? Is this something that, that we can in the hope of receiving this forgiveness from God? As our sermon summary today, I want to keep it short and sweet. Uh, it goes like this. If you're taking notes, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Alright, that's half the title of our sermon today if you had the handout. Uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. As we read this passage, as we go through the different portions of Scripture that we go through, we see just how Pharaoh interacts with God and with Moses. I want us to keep that in the back Exodus chapter 8, verses 8 and 15. So like I said, we're going to start there and then kind of check this, this theme as it travels through all these plays, or through some of these plays. Exodus chapter 8, verses, uh, starting in verse 8, says this. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from them and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs. And as he agreed with Pharaoh, and the Lord did According to what the word of Moses, the frogs died out in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Now for context, right, right in verses 1 through 7, we see Moses telling Pharaoh, if you don't let us go, if you don't let God's people go, the frogs will come and fill the land. Like this ain't gonna happen, so the frogs came and filled the land. In the first plague, we see blood fill all water sources, ponds, the canals, the, the Nile, all of these things were filled with blood. But Pharaoh just had a hard heart and kind of just disregarded it and went back and didn't, didn't offer any kind of peace to God. But we see in the second plague, for whatever reason, these frogs must have just crawled under his skin or something, uh, but he, he wanted to make a plea bargain with God. So we see in verse 8. And he says this, that plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now when I say a plea bargain, what, he is, what he's doing, he's basically said, if you get rid of these frogs, if your God gets rid of these frogs that are out here, I'll let your people go. Right? If you do this, I'll go ahead and do this. Now this kind of reminds me of when people say, you know, they're wrong to in some kind of way, and they're just like, oh, if you just please forgive me, I'll never do it again, I'll be a better person, I'll promise it won't happen again, I'll be your best friend, or whatever the thing is, they say, if you just do this, I'll make sure to do that. Right, this is, this seems, on the surface, I mean, I think we all respond to that fairly well, and most of us are okay, well, I'll give you another chance, right, we kind of come to a truce or compromise with that person, and we get into it. But I believe that is, 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 is arrogance, right? I believe that's an arrogant thing to do. Why I say that is because when I actually 
I'm saying that my change, my repentance, my desire to, to, to do right by you is contingent on your forgiveness. So what I'm actually offering you is conditional repentance, right, which is no repentance at all. In essence, what I'm saying, this is, this is why this is a manipulative way of going about it. In essence, what I'm saying is it has become your responsibility to see that I change. If I don't change, it's only because you won't forgive me. So until you forgive me, I won't change or I can't change. I, I, I have no ability to. Until you do this, I'm at a loss until you do this for me. So this, this, is, this is what we see in a sense what Pharaoh is doing. He's saying, God, until you do this, I'm not going to let you do it. Well, I'm not listening to you. Until you listen to me, that's when I'll let you do it. So what does God do? Right, God, knowing Pharaoh's heart, Knowing he's being unrepentant, right? There's no desire to honor God or serve God. Knowing that he's lying like a rug. Instead of killing him, right? He had every right to kill Pharaoh in this time. Uh, instead of killing him on the spot for these unrepentant things that he's offering and trying to make himself even with God to compromise and come to some kind of agreement, he kills the frogs instead. Right? He could have easily killed Pharaoh here for what he did, but he kills the frogs instead. He does what Pharaoh asks, in a sense, to say. And what was Pharaoh's response? Was it a lifelong of devotion to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. You've been so kind to me. We're going to serve you. We're going to, you know, uh, offer our repentance and sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. No, none of that happens. In verse 15, what we see is that when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite or a relief in the land, he hardened his heart and would not listen to him as the Lord said. Now, when I think about that, I, I do some self-reflections. How many times have we asked God, Lord, if you just take this pain, if you just remove this suffering from my life, if you would just help me pay these bills, uh, help me not be lonely anymore, if you could just do this for me, I would, I would never doubt your me. I would never doubt your power in my life. If you just do this for me, I promise I'll serve you all the days. This is what Pharaoh's doing, right? He's offering God a compromise. He's saying, hey, if you do this for I'll do this for you. But the only problem with that is that, that this is this is this is sinful, right? God has called us to listen to him regardless of what the circumstances are. Um, and, and we have a and this is the problem that we do. We are offering unrepentant pleas to God, but there's no desire to change. It's that we just want our own way. So when, when I look at Pharaoh and I look at ourselves, you know, how we respond in these same type of situations. We're not going to be bombarded with frogs or flies or gnats or anything, but we do have situations that come up in our lives and we offer these types of pleas to God. Uh, the only difference between us and Pharaoh is the fact that our lives are not recorded in Scripture. Right? We can't look back at everything we've done and someone points us and says, man, what was wrong with God? God is doing all this stuff in his life, calling into this and that, and he wants to just go the other way. Right? That's the only difference that I see us and Pharaoh, even in this situation. But like us, this isn't the only time that Pharaoh offers up some unrepentant things to God. Let's go just a little further in verse 20 here in chapter 8. Uh, verses 20 through 32, we see in the fourth play, there's a similar situation uh, with, with Pharaoh offering up these unrepentant things. So just for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize what's going on. Right, This is the fourth play. This is the plague of the flies. Swarms of flies cover the land of Egypt. Pharaoh makes another plea to God by asking Moses to have his people worship God in the land of Goshen instead of
instead of traveling where they were told to, then agrees to let them travel a three days journey to worship God. But in verse 28, he says, only you must not go very far. Once again, we are seeing the bargaining of Pharaoh in his unrepentant pleas for God. Right, basically what he said is like if it was here today in Victoria and God's calling us to go to Beaumont or Houston or somewhere far off. He's like, you know what? How about I just let your people go to like Ireland or Telfiner uh, or even Edna. I'll let you go to Edna just far enough to where if something goes down, I can call you and be back here in less than 30 minutes. Right? That's kind of the idea that, that Pharaoh has in this time. So God, once again, relieves the land of these swarms of flies. Pharaoh's heart was once again hardened and his regime changed his mind. Right, we see another example of man's compromise with the will of God. He says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, yeah, I'll let them go, just not to the place that you want them to go. Right, when I think about this, I, I kind of think about the compromises I make in my life and how I see God's word. I know what I'm called to, yet I, I want to try to reason out why I can't do what he's called me to, but I can meet him halfway. Right? It's like if I say something like, God, I know your word has commanded me to love my enemies, to repay no evil for evil, but this dude at work, woo, man, lazy, he's lazy, he calls in all the time, when he shows up, he's late, when he's there, he don't do any work, I gotta pick up the slack, so what I'm gonna do, Lord, I'm just gonna pray for this guy, Let my people go so they can worship. Yeah, yeah, I love them, but I want them to go here. I want them to go where you 
said often in the Bible, right? That that's the same thing that we do. So twice we've seen unrepentant pleas from Pharaoh that, that, that are answered, but they continue to eat further judgment on him by further plagues coming due to his hardness of heart. Now let's look at chapter 9 and verses 13 through 35 and get the seventh plague, right? So far we've seen the second plague, the fourth plague, now the seventh, eighth, and tenth. All of these plagues are the uh, Pharaoh is offering up these unrepentant pleas uh, for relief from his circumstances. So in Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 to 35, we see the, the seventh plague, which is the plague of the hail, of hell. Moses tells, just to summarize, Moses tells Pharaoh and his people of the coming hailstorm, those who fear the word of God took shelter with all their slaves, all their livestock, with all their, you know, all their stuff, but all those who did not listen were struck down, man, beast, and crop. Now what we will see is that not every single crop was struck down because we still have to play the lows and locusts. But what this is telling us is that in all the fields there was no crop that was saved from the hailstorms and the thunderstorms and the fires in the sky. So we'll talk about that one a little bit. But as a result of this, right, as he once again comes to another plague, we get another type of, of unrepentant plea. Or we'll see it's we'll see it's an unrepentant plea, but this is another type of plea that Pharaoh is offering up. Pharaoh actually says this time that he's sinned against God. In verses 27 and 28, he says this, This time I have sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hell. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Right? He's, I have sinned, I was in the wrong, you were in the right, me and my people are wrong. We're going to let y'all go. Please tell him to, to let, leave us alone now. Right? It seems a little more legitimate, right? I, I would relate this to when we say someone has prayed the prayer, right? Or they pray the sinner's prayer, right? They, they, they pray this prayer, they, they were in the hospital, they were deathly sick, and we went to go see them and told about Jesus, told them they can accept him if they just pray this prayer and, and they, they get healthy again, right? But then they come to church one or two weeks and then they're gone, right? You see that and they're like, what? They, they prayed the prayer. I thought they, they prayed the prayer, right? They, they said the right things. Pharaoh's saying the right things here. Now, I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, but praying the prayer doesn't make us Christian, right? It doesn't, it doesn't save us. The prayer does not save us. God's saving grace to us, right? It is for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing for the gift of God's so grace. God has graced us with salvation, right? We can't pray it to us. God graciously gives it to us. It is an amazing truth, and it takes it out of, out, out of our hands, right? We have the responsibility of calling out our repentance to God, but it is Him who offers this gracious gift to us and then changes His heart of stone and gives us the heart of flesh, right? That's what God does for us. It is His grace that does that. So we can say all the things that we want to say to make ourselves look good, but if God has not changed the heart, we've still got that old stone-cold heart that we had before that had no desire for God. So if that is the case, what is the true mark of a Christian? Right? What is the true mark of, of, of repentance? What, how do we know that someone is actually a believer? Is it, is it good behavior or, or a good reputation? Right? Is it moralism? It's none of those things. The true mark of a Christian is endurance. 
right? It's fighting the good fight of faith. It is, it is getting knocked down, clinging to Christ, getting back up and finishing our race, right? It's that, that long haul, it's that journey. It's not what I did today, what I did yesterday, what I did tomorrow. Because at the end of my life, where is my hope found? Is it in Christ or is it in the things that I've done in this life? Am I going to be the one that said, Lord, Lord, didn't I do many things for you? Miraculous things? I did all these things. Yeah, am I going to be that one or am I going to, am I going to be the one that says, have mercy on me? Right, which, which camp am I in? Am I resting in God's grace and mercy or my own good things that I can do? Right, I can say these things all day long, but it's the endurance. It's that, that track record that we come to have by fighting the good fight of faith. So Moses, as God had told him, he calls out Pharaoh and his false repentance. But once again, God relents this plague and Pharaoh's heart was once again hardened and he didn't let God's people go. Right? And now we see, okay, this was not true repentance offered by Pharaoh. Now we see three times, is, or the third time isn't always a charm. Uh, so let's look at the fourth time he offers up this false repentance. This is in Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. This is the plague of the locust. Now to summarize this, when Moses tells Pharaoh, the locusts are coming, the locusts are coming, uh, the servants of Pharaoh plead with him to let the people go. This time, uh, the deal Pharaoh seeks to make is he puts no stipulation on distance, but he's paranoid that the uh, Hebrews will come back and, and try to destroy the, the Egyptians. So he tells them, okay, I'll let you go as far as you want to go, you know, wherever you want to go worship, just leave the women and children here. Only the men can travel. Right? So another compromise. I'm going to let you do what you want to do. You can go where you want to go, but I'm saying who can go there. Right? Verse 15, we see that the locusts covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants and the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hell had left. Right? So the hell damaged a good portion of the crop. The locusts came behind and finished the task. Um, not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all of the land of Egypt. Plants, fruits, leaves, stalks, and anything the Egyptians would find edible. Gone, right? Anything, all of it was gone. Pharaoh's response to this was to hastily, it says, call Moses and Aaron. Listen to what he says to Moses and Aaron in verses 16 and 17. He says this, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and I plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Right? Sounds good again. Another seemingly desperate plea for deliverance and an acknowledgement of sin against God and his people. Right? He's confessing his sins to Moses and the things that he's done. Why would this be considered another unrepentant plea on Pharaoh's behalf? Well, according to verses 19 and 20, it says God turns turned the strong wind to remove the locusts from the land of Egypt, and then he pardoned the heart of Pharaoh. Now we may think, okay, why would God clean the slate and then harden Pharaoh's heart? Why would he harden the heart of Pharaoh? He was just about to change. He had every intention of doing good. Why would God harden the heart of Pharaoh? 
We must remember what that means to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Uh, Pastor referenced this last week, but what it is is a removal of God's restraint on his sinful nature. God has removed that restraint from him and gave him over to his own sinful desires. As scripture tells us, God does not tempt us nor lead us or lead anyone into temptation, but as a form of judgment, he gives us over to our evil fallen desires. That is the hardening of the heart. Right? The illustration I like to use when it comes to the hardening of the heart, where it's not like an active hardening, but just the removal of God's hand or restraint from them is the potter and the clay that's referenced in Isaiah. When, when scripture tells us that he is a potter and we are the clay. If, if anyone's ever seen the movie Ghost or other movies or videos where people are messing with clay, right, as long as your hands are on that clay, you can make it into whatever kind of pottery you want it to be. Right? You can spin it and, and do all that stuff and stop it and, and add a handle or make a picture or glass, a cup, whatever. All, you can do all these things as long as your hands are actively working with the clay. But once you take your hands off the clay, once you remove yourself from that clay, what happens to it? It hardens. Right? It hardens. This, this is what God has done with Pharaoh. He has left him to himself. And his heart hardened. That, that's, that's what the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is. So in this final play, as we continue on, we see the, the conclusion of God's judgment on an unrepentant people, uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. We will see this it is split up in two passages. Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 through 32 is the plague itself. And then Exodus 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 5 through 31 is the, the, uh, the end result of the plague. So we kind of talk about this in this tenth plague. This is the plague of uh, the death of the firstborn. Moses threatens the firstborn of all men to be killed, all men and livestock to be killed. Pharaoh does not let God's people go. So let's read verses 29 and 30 to see what God says here. Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. It says this. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Now, <clears throat> when it comes to these plagues, there's a lot of speculation as far as what they represented. Uh, there's multiple views, uh, but the view that I've seen, that I've read that kind of, that makes sense and, and uh, I think is, is fairly accurate is the understanding that these plagues represented gods of the Egyptians. Uh, we see that with the Nile, with, with a bunch of different things, but in this plague here, in the tenth plague, it's, it's the attack, the mother of all attacks that's given because it's an attack against God or against Pharaoh who believes he is a god. Right? He strikes his firstborn. God kills the son of the Egyptian god. Right? This would be a critical blow to the and to Pharaoh himself, and to all their Egyptian gods. Now, because of this, what was Pharaoh's response to see this destruction of all the firstborn in Egypt? Well, we see in verses 31 and 32, he says, Up, go out from among my people, both you 
and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. So it seems like he's finally getting it, right? It took the death of his firstborn and the firstborn of all those in Egypt for him to finally realize that God is who he says he is. But once again, we see some false repentance. And this action is shown in Exodus chapter 14. He changes his mind and seeks to enslave people as they flee. Exodus 14 verse 8 uh, says this, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people were going out defiantly. Right? As we know the end result of this, he gathered 600 men, chariots, and anyone who could fight. He gathered all these people, 600 Egyptians. They followed the, the Hebrews into the Red Sea that had been parted, and as all the, the, uh, the Hebrews made their way through it, sea collapsed back on the Egyptians and all of them died. Right? All of them lost their lives in the Red Sea. Now one thing we need to think about is how far-reaching sin, how destructive sin really is. I don't believe we fully realize just how devastating the effect of sin is in the world. Right? For Pharaoh, it caused the death of thousands of 600 specifically in the sea, all the firstborn in Egypt, uh, plenty of the livestock, all the crops, they had boils, all kind of just terrorized, they were terrorized, right? They were just, had all these plagues come upon them because of the sins and unrepentant pleas of Pharaoh. So how many people in our lives aren't, aren't impacted by our well, let me ask you this way. How many times have we not just been a blessing to someone? How often have we not shared the gospel of Jesus Christ? How often have we spoken in a way that corrupted someone's view of someone that we didn't like? We are, or we, we have the, the capacity for this. We are foolish people. We can be blinded by sin. And, and as we are blinded and hardened by this, we don't understand how destructive our disobedience is to others. We tend to ask things like, of our kids, of our spouse, of our co-workers, why do they act like that? Why, why do they do those things? Why in the world, how, what possession do they do this or do that? Like, why, 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 do we, why do people shoot up schools? Why do people, you know, rape and molest and murder? Like, why do all these things happen? We look to the outside and ask those questions. But then we need to look at ourselves and ask, why do I do the sins that I commit? Why do I have hatred in my heart? I may not murder someone physically, but I murder them in my heart every time I'm hateful towards them. Right? If I, if I have lustful thoughts, I'm committing adultery against my wife. How? I can look at the person who's actually committed adultery and be mad at them all day long. Why would you do that? But the second I have a lustful thought, I'm doing the same thing. That's, what, that's God's standard. We, we always look to the outside. Why would Pharaoh do this? Why do they do that? Why does why do the Israelites do that? Why did Peter? Why did he deny Christ at the time? Right? Those are the things that we say, but we need to be looking at ourselves, asking why do we commit the sins that we do? So when we think about that stuff, where does that leave us? 
right? If we self-examine our lives, what God has called us to, where does that leave us? Well, it should leave us in need. It should leave us broken. And it should leave us empty-handed. Right? We have nothing, nothing we can offer God in exchange for salvation, in exchange for deliverance. We can't offer Him plea bargains. We can't reason things out or offer compromise to God. He doesn't need anything that we have. And besides, we don't have anything good to offer Him. So where does that leave us? Well, there's a a songwriter named Augustus Toplady that wrote a song called Rock of Ages. And I like what he says in one of the verses. It says this, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I come. Naked, come to me for rest. Helpless, look to me for rest. Bow, I to the fountain of life. Wash me, Savior, for I die. God, Opposes the proud. He's grace. So as we close, I want to read from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. I want to read this. I want us to really think about it in light of all we've talked about today. And I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts and concerns. Please listen closely to these verses. James chapter 4.
friends with the world, to love the things of this world. Right? We're going to be in the world. We're going to have friends that aren't believers. There's nothing wrong with having friends that aren't believers. What this is talking about is being, to link, to being associated with, to be locking arms and, and loving the things that God hates and hating the things that God's love, that God loves. That's being friends with the world. We're called to humble ourselves before God, submitting ourselves to what His Word has called us to. So I ask you today, if you can see in your life that you have unrepentant sin that lingers, right? These things that, as we see other people committing sins and they sin again and they sin again and they sin again and they get mad at them for doing those things over and over again, what, what in your life looks like that? Right? Have you conquered anger? Right? Have you conquered self-righteousness? If you haven't conquered those things, you're living in unrepentant sin. What I'd ask you to do, ask God to search your heart. Don't just say it, right? Pharaoh said it. Pharaoh said all the right things, but it was empty. Right? He said all the right things, but it was empty. Pray for God's strength to help you conquer this thing. What they do when we keep them unchecked is they harden our hearts. They deafen our ears. They, they put scales over our eyes. We're not able to see the way we're supposed to see. We're not able to hear way we're not able to love the way that God has called us to love because that sin is latching onto us and it's, it's constantly there. We must battle against it. So what I tell you today is trust in the good news of Jesus Christ that he who knew no sin became sin.